Best in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Thursday, August 3rd, 2023, the Feast of St. Erlembald. He was a Malaysian lord, and I'm going to struggle to pronounce his name for the entirety of the saint of the day. He was a fearless knight of Christ who lived in the 11th century. He was wealthy and influential because of his royal family, and he held a great position of great relevance in Milan. He lived an opulent lifestyle, but he also had great devotion to God, and he considered entering a monastic life after entering or returning rather from a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. On his return home, he sought after a saintly deacon and asked his opinion, and he told him that he should remain a layperson rather than become a monk. And he was shocked by this uh, request, that this, uh, this advice, St. Arioldo, uh, was the name of the deacon. And he fought with him and told him, no, you need to stay a knight and fight for the church, which was suffering from simony and impurity amongst the clergy. Mm. So what did Erlenball do? He said, I don't trust you. So he went to the Pope himself and he walked to Malaysia or from Malaysia to Rome and spoke with Pope Alexander II. And Pope Alexander II supported the decision of Saint Arioldo and told him that he should have a standard and gave him the standard of he made him his own standard that represented the papacy and that he would use it to combat the enemies of Christ and defend the church, even to the shedding of his blood if necessary. Now, he was known to be a very charitable man, helping the poor and the sick, and he would invite them into his castle in order to take care of many people who were out in the streets in his kingdom. But for 10 years, he fought against the spread of simony and corruption, and he often clashed with Archbishop Guido of Velate, who who was protecting the abuses, uh, the purchasing of religious offices. Eventually, he had to lay siege against the archbishop, Mm. and he went to battle with them. And the people, the Malaysian people, guess who they stood with? The archbishop against <laughs> Erlenbald. And they, during the battle, St. Arioldo, who was a deacon, fought with Erlenbald. And as they were coming through, Erlenbald is fighting off his attackers. And Arioldo, who is not a soldier, he was instead a deacon, he was gravely, gravely wounded. But Erenbald was not even wounded at all. He was able to completely defend himself against the mob coming after him. And he was able to get Arioldo away, and he saved his life. Arioldo ended up trusting a different priest who ended up turning him into the archbishop, and he was beheaded. So pretty crazy. Eventually, during a, a later siege, Arenbald died fighting for the Catholic faith and the papacy, where assassins snuck in and murdered him, and he was raised to the altars uh, by a later pope. I can't remember who the pope was at the top of my head at the moment. Uh, but let's pray that we have the spirit of Arambald willing to fight against corruption in the church, being able to stand up for the papacy, stand up for what is true, good, and beautiful, uh, even to the shedding of our blood, and recognize that um, sometimes being a soldier for Christ literally means being a soldier for Christ. St. <laughs> Arambald, pray, pray for, for us. us. Happy Thursday to you. We almost are to the weekend. Can you believe it? I am looking forward to the weekend myself. I'm going to take a little nap. I would, uh, a well-deserved nap, I would say. A well-deserved nap. I am still in pain with this darn yes. tooth thing. And I'm blaming it on the fact that I'm not getting enough sleep. That's what I'm going to blame it on. But um, 
Good morning to you, Rudy Carlos. Hey, good morning, Adrian. I'm happy to uh, to announce that uh, all of those years of daydreaming as a child are paying off finally, because as you were telling me the story of this great saint, St. Arambald, I'm just imagining the most epic fight right? in my head. You know, I'm I was thinking, thinking it, this would make such a cool movie. Uh, yeah, like an HBO docuseries. Maybe yeah. not HBO because they're they're terrible and they add but stuff like the that's quality really of the HBO yeah, docuseries. No, I was thinking the same thing. I was just reading his story this morning, and people should go and just read this story in full because it <laughs> it reads like a like a war novel or yeah. like a um, like a movie because he like goes out into battle. He returns. He goes to the pope and is like, "I would love to enter monastic life." And he goes, "No, you must fight to the shedding of blood." For the defense of the church. And in that scene, the camera's panning in, and it's a it's a close-up of the Pope's fist, and he slams it down on his pontifical throne. He's like, mm. no. Behold, the standard of the Pope. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Yeah, there's a painting of him holding the standard, and it's like, whew, that is really <laughs> cool. That is really cool. That him about to lay siege against the archbishop, oh, and he's holding the standard. And it's like flowing in the wind. You see the cross with the keys behind the cross. Incredible. And you're like, whew. Imagine that coming after you. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, at 15 past the hour, a detransitioner sues Texas doctors for recklessly pushing her into getting sex change surgery. This is bad news that this obviously happened to this person, but this is very good news because I think the only solution is to sue these people out of oblivion. At 30 past the hour, Carrie Gress is going to be joining us. She's going to be talking about the roots of feminism. And her book, her new book just came out, The uh, End of Woman, which I think is very interesting considering the constant questions of what is a woman? I guess we'll get that answer today. In the next hour, speaking of women, the holy name of Mary and hearing her voice with Alan Smith um, what did Bishop Sheen say about that? It'd be a very good conversation coming up in the next hour. Of course, we have our Fear and Trembling game show coming up. I'm looking forward to that. We're giving away a prize tomorrow, and you could win it by calling in today and getting your name in the coffee cup of Divine Providence. But let's begin with prayer. We're going to pray for whatever it is you have going on in your life. We pray for our friends, our family, our benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. We pray for the salvation of souls and the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church and for the Esserman family and her daughter, Sienna, their daughter, Sienna. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. O Immaculata, Queen of Heaven and Earth, refuge of sinners, and our most loving Mother, God has willed to entrust the entire order of mercy to you. I, a repentant sinner, cast myself at your feet, humbly imploring you to take me with all that I am and have, holy to yourself as your possession and property. Please make of me, of all my powers of soul and body, of my whole life, death, and eternity, whatever most pleases you. If it pleases you, use all that I am and have without reserve, wholly to accomplish what was said of you. She will crush your head, and you alone have destroyed all heresies in the world. Let me be a fit instrument in your immaculate and merciful hands for introducing and increasing your glory to the maximum in all the many strayed and indifferent souls. And thus help extend as far as possible the blessed kingdom of the most sacred heart of Jesus. For wherever you enter, you obtain the grace of conversion and growth in holiness. Since it is through your hands that all graces come to us from the most sacred heart of Jesus. Allow me to praise you, O sacred virgin. Give me strength against your enemies. 
O Mary, concede without sin, pray for us who have recourse to Thee, and all those who do not have recourse to Thee, especially the Freemasons. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. And now, your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Here are your Thursday headlines. The Postmillennial reports Biden wants to arm Taiwan against China and use Ukraine budget requests to do it. The proposal follows a promise to supply $345 million worth of arms through the Presidential Drawdown Authority as the United States ramps up its efforts to deter escalation between Taiwan and China. While the U.S. has assisted Taiwan militarily on many occasions in the past, this would be the first time the nation has included, or was included rather, in a foreign military financing request. The National Catholic Register reports celebrity-led rosary rally promotes ballot measure to protect parental rights in Ohio's Constitution. Billed as the most important rally since the overturning of Roe v. Wade, prayer warriors are headed to Ohio for a huge event on August 6th, the Feast of the Transfiguration of the Lord. Organizers of the Rosary Rally in Cincinnati hope to encourage all Christians in Ohio to vote yes on Issue 1 on August 8th to raise the threshold to change the state constitution from a simple majority to 60%. Issue 1 is part of a fight culminating this November over a ballot measure that would enshrine abortion in the Ohio Constitution and limit parents' legal right to consent what procedures are done on their children, such as abortions and sex change surgeries. Featured Catholic leaders of the rally will include actor Jim Caviezel and Planned Parenthood worker turned pro-life, uh, pro-lifer Abby Johnson. The Daily Caller reports Pentagon is withdrawing troops from the southern border after migrant encounters surged in July. The Department of Homeland Security authorized 1,500 active duty troops to deploy to the southern border for a 90-day mission in May, just ahead of an expected surge in migrant crossings. While encounters with illegal migrants dropped initially, migrant crossings tracked upwards again in July, and up to 400 soldiers will have their mission extended until the end of August. Those are all your breaking news and stories for now. Keep it dialed in on Catholic Drive Time for more. Back to you, Adrian. Now, the Gospel of the Day comes from Matthew chapter 13, verses 47 through 53. The real question is, will we ever get through Matthew chapter 13? Um, <laughs> stay tuned to find out. Now, the... Gospel passage goes on to a new parable. Now, the parable here is the casting of the net into the sea. Now, Cornelius Alapide, when he comments on this, he says, okay, we have the two preceding parables, one of the treasure and the pearl, denoting the value and dignity of the gospel, whereas this parable shows us that the all-encompassing message of the gospel, that all nations and all people are embraced by the gospel. And so here he says in verse 47, again, the kingdom of heaven is like to a net cast into the sea and gathering together all kinds of fishes. Why is this important to keep in mind? Because when one fishes in a normal manner, you can actually target certain kind of fish. How do you do so? Well, you target it by fishing at certain depths. You target by using certain kinds of baits, using certain kind of string, because some string uh, will snap you have all these ways of being able to target certain kinds of fish but when you use a drag net especially one as long as fishermen would tend to use you catch all kinds of fishes and this is a symbol of capturing all kinds of people all people of all nations in verse 48 he says which when it was filled they drew out and sitting by the shore they chose out the good into vessels but the bad they cast forth. 
Cornelius Alapide points out that St. Augustine uses this verse as a tool to show that the Donatists were incorrect. The Donatists were heretics that said that the only people who are members of the church are those that are good and holy. But St. Augustine says, no, you are a true member of the church, even if you are bad. It's simply that you're a dead member. It's simply that at the end of the world, you will be cast into hell. But you're still a member of the church while you're still here on earth. You still have an opportunity to repent. And so how does this prove that? Because they has they gathered all these people because the dragnet, it was a symbol of the church. So you're, the church is gathering forth all these people and capture them all. Now, sitting by the shore, which is the symbol of the judgment, they go through the fish. The good fish they retain. The bad fish they throw away. And so this is a symbol of the judgment seat. And so in verse 49, our Lord actually explains it himself. And he says, so shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall go out and shall separate the wicked from among the just. Lest anyone say, no, it's clearly that that's not what the symbol is. It's not about hell. Our Lord literally tells us the next verse that it's about sending people to hell. And people say, no, no, no. He's just separating them. He's not actually sending them to hell. Verse 50, he says, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, very clear. So, if anyone who says, oh, you know, well, God isn't so mean as to cast someone to hell. No, no, no. There is no hell. Our Lord is very clear, and he repeats over and over that hell is, in fact, a real opportunity for you. It's a real opportunity for you to choose. And if you choose to do wicked, you choose to against Christ, that's where you will go. In verse 82, he says, he said unto them, therefore, every scribe instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like to a man that is a householder who bringeth forth out of his treasure, new things and old. Cornelius Lapide says this is a prefigurement of the New Testament because he recognizes that as our Lord says these things, the New Testament doesn't exist yet. The New Testament is being spoken aloud by our Lord in this moment, but our Lord knows that this will be written down by the evangelist and that they will bring forth the new treasures and old because the old Testament isn't thrown away. It's not like we toss the old Testament in the trash. We don't use it anymore, but instead the old is enlightened by the new. Finally, it says that Jesus went past from thence and Cornelius Labrador says that means he went home. (laughs) So I was like, okay, thanks. Thanks for that. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about some a detransitioner suing Texas doctors. Hey, Donnie, what are the four Gospels in the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And who baptized Jesus? St. John the Baptist. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. What is a fanatic? Well, have you ever heard someone defending animal rights as if they have completely forgotten about human rights? G.K. Chesterton says that is a perfect example of a fanatic. Someone with a sense of a particular truth that is too strong for his sense of the universal truth. He will invoke even cruelty to prevent cruelty to animals. 
Later, he may even invoke cruelty to animals to prevent cruelty to pit ponies. It is not merely that he has kept one thing and lost a thousand things. He has lost the basis even of the one thing. For a man cannot long remain right without a reason. We must accept all the universal truths so that we don't go off balance with one particular truth. And where do we find the perfect balance of all universal truths? In the Catholic Church. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. <laughs> Before I get into another story, I just saw this pop up in my feed. Reported by Rorate Chaley. A French woman in Lyon had her car turned upside down in the streets in last month's riots. Now, what do you think the punchline here is going to be? <laughs> she got a ticket for irregularly parking from the police the following day. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. It sounds Spence like a joke. Uh, but there's like an actual it's a translation from, a, um, from an article in, from France. And I'm just like, there you go, folks. There's France. I've always been tempted to, whenever there's a car accident or something, to roll down my window and say, hey, you can't park there. But I always refrain. Seems well, like they could. Apparently they could. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the car is literally upside down on the top. And they're like, um, you can't park that way. <laughs> like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you literally cannot park that way. It's impossible. <laughs> anyway, and, and also you're thinking, like, how on earth can I do that? You know, France, small streets, they have those little bitty smart cars. And so that's one of those cars. <laughs> so probably had like 10 people pick it up. I think you probably do that. I don't even know. Just I don't know how one, heavy those One strong are. person? Probably, honestly. Just one Adrian. Yeah, one American. Exactly. So true, King. Corn so fed. True. Corn fed. Uh, what's up with Americans and corn? It's kind of strange. It's good. Yeah. All right. So here's a story out of LifeSite News. Detransitioner sues Texas doctors for recklessly pushing her into getting sex change surgery. Now... The uh, editor's note says uh, readers may find details of the story to be disturbing, and I agree, but we won't read those kind of parts of it. The Texas, um, in Fort Worth, Texas, another detransitioner, detransitioner who attempted a gender transition at the age of 17 is suing the doctors who operated on her, accusing her of ignoring her plethora of mental health conditions and pushing her down a destructive path. Soren Aldaco, who is now 21 years old, filed her lawsuit on Friday in the Tarrant County District Court of Texas. She alleges that her doctors behaved more like ideologues than medical professionals, and that they did not properly take her autism, depression, anxiety, and other comorbidities into account. You know, it's really strange how many times we hear stories of people who are trans being autistic mm. it's almost like there is a um trying to call the autistic people because i mean we've seen this with down syndrome in other countries where people are like oh yeah we eradicated down syndrome oh you did uh, what cure did you find for down syndrome it's called murder we killed them all and that seems like this is what they're doing with autist where they're saying, mutilate yourself so you can never have kids and never procreate. 
a very, very strange situation that we see this pattern over and over again of autistic people being pushed into the trans ideology. Now, it said the repercussions of these inter- interventions have led to Soren's permanent disfigurement and profound psychological scarring, the suing alleges. The defendant breaches of their fiduciary duties are only underscored by the fact that each defendant met Soren and facilitated these therapies as a piv- at a pivotal injunction in her life, when she was grappling not only with universal challenges of adolescence and body image, but also with complex amalgamation of diagnosed mental health comorbidities. Now, this is important to keep in mind because what teenager is comfortable with their bodies? What teenager is? Ooh, man, I remember being a teen. Mm. I was uncomfortable with myself. I was a chubby middle schooler. It was horrible. Yeah. And you look at, um, at, at what, the millennial generation? What they, like the girls at that time, uh, popular, getting all those piercings, dyeing your hair, and then mm-hmm. the, the scene kid with the, the hair that came over the face, and then there was, <laughs> there was the emo phase. There was all these different phases of these people, and you're asking, like, why do they do that? Yeah. Well, it's the perennial question of you're not comfortable with yourself, or you're trying to find your identity. And that's how it's always been. There's been phases, right? I mean, that's why... Uh, in popular culture, you would discuss this as, oh, it's just a phase. It's just a phase. You'll grow out of it. You know, you explore uh, in that 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 season of your life. Yeah. And but I mean, now it's irreversible. Exactly. Like I was thinking, um, I see these pictures of of these uh, women who said, um, this was me as a feminist. And they post a picture of them as a teenager. And this is me now as a recovered feminist and it's like them a normal woman and <laughs> and it's like they shaved half of their hair and they did all it's these like green. like this like these their makeup isn't crazy they have piercings in their nose and you're like man that's crazy imagine if that was permanent if somehow they were able to permanently keep the, your a side fade in your hair and permanently make your hair never green grows back. never grows back your hair is permanently green there your those nose rings can't come out you leave them in permanently the makeup stays there, so you're just like perpetually like super pale in the face. Like imagine if that happened to young ladies who did experience that back then. They would look back and be like, Why did someone let me do this to myself? And this is what we're doing to kids today. These young women, and it's it's mostly young women. I mean, there is a lot of men as well, but it's more of a psychological disease against women. And they're chopping off their breast. They are mutilating their hormones they are destroying their bodies they are changing their voices and they can never go back they can never go back and the only way through this is to absolutely sue these doctors and these medical practitioners and these hospitals for everything they own so that way they will say it's not worth it for us to even attempt to go down this path it's the only thing they understand. In fact, the detransitioners Chloe Cole and Layla Jane, represented by the Center for American Liberty, have also announced high-profile lawsuits against medical practitioners. And I think this is very good. In fact, maybe, maybe we'll play a clip of them later at a later date. I've got to go look through and see 
what parts of it we can play. It's pretty, it's pretty gruesome. And I, I really do recommend people listen to it because I need to understand what's happening because this is so much worse than what you think it is. Whatever you think it is, it's so much worse. I was listening to and this woman, this, or I guess this man, who claims that he does not regret his transition. But he was talking about how he has to dilate his wound, and I won't get into details. Basically, that means keep the wound open. Yeah, to keep yeah. the wound open. And he was saying, yeah, I, did, like, I realized that I had to do this for the rest of my life, but he's like, man, every single day? And he's like, and if I don't do it, it can seal up and create a bubble and kill me. And he said in the surgery to fix it, if I decide to, I don't want it anymore, costs $75,000. Like, I can't afford that. So I guess, I guess I dilate every day for the rest of my life. It's almost as if this whole procedure was completely unnatural and against everything that, that God designed. Mm. You go in there thinking, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change who I am. I, this, this body doesn't reflect who I am. I'm going to go and change it. Mm -hmm. And they find themselves in this entire nightmare for the rest of their life that they, they can't function as a normal human being anymore. Mm -hmm. And here's another problem. A lot of these lawmakers, a lot of these doctors, a lot of these judges, they have kids who are so ingrained in leftist culture. I mean, think about it. How many people on the right do we know that have kids that identify in the LGBT community? A lot. A lot. How much more do you think it is among the left? And then they support them and they let them mutilate their bodies. And now there is no way they can turn back. And so what do they do? They double down and they take any kind of defense of children as an attack against them and their own decisions and their own treatment of their kids. And so now they, they're stuck. They're stuck in this catch-22 where if they condemn these things, they've condemned themselves and they condemn their children. So there has to be a way forward. And ultimately, ultimately the answer is Christ and the church because these people are just going to have to live a life of celibacy. They're going to have to be able to dedicate their life to God and celibacy. Can they enter religious life? Almost certainly not. Perhaps they might be able to become um, choir monks and choir nuns, but they won't be able to do anything else. They're going to have to live as, as consecrated virgins in the world, dedicate themselves to God. And that's really the only solution. That's really the only solution. That no other way will make them happy. No other thing will change who they are. This is why suicide rates go up after surgeries. And usually people report, oh, no, it goes down, actually. That's a bad statistic. Well, if you look at the statistics, they will say, post-op, checking up within a year. Of course, they're still in the euphoria of this major change in their life, and they're still convincing themselves that it's all happy. It's self-reported. Check back five years. Check back 10 years. Are they still happy with what they did to themselves? There's also the statistic that over 40% of people who identify as trans actually commit suicide. Mm -hmm. So what are we really encouraging for these people? Are we really giving them the opportunity for them to be themselves? Or are we instead accelerating their demise? Because we know, as well as everyone else knows, the, the truth is, 
that we are leading them into self-destructive tendencies. And it's not charitable for us in the same manner to go and encourage a, an alcoholic to continue to drink. Mm-hmm. But we, we have a different standard when it comes to pushing people into these crazy surgeries that completely destroy their life to the point of death. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It's, it's pretty crazy. I don't know what kind of culture we're living in, but this is, uh, this is very strange. Yeah, so I'm glad that this is happening in Texas because I think it'll help speed up the process of getting this destroyed in Texas so it never happens again. I just think, what on earth is God thinking about us? What is God thinking about his people destroying the Imago Day, mutilating the Imago Day, the image of God in our souls? We're just mutilating it, destroying it. We don't have no care for it. And what kind of punishment is God going to rain down upon his people? It's, I can't imagine it can be good. And so the sooner we can get these things out of our states, I will feel much more comfortable in a number of ways. One, because justice is being done. And two, because the wrath of God is a scary thing. Who can stand against the wrath of God? Now, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to have Carrie Gress. She's going to be joining us talking about her book on woman. I think it's very interesting because ultimately the transgender issue has its root in feminism. Many people, many people do not want to address that real issue, but it is in fact rooted in feminism. When you destroy the difference between a man and a woman, you say a man and a woman, there's no difference. A man can do anything a woman can do. A woman can do anything a man can do. A man can dress like a woman. A woman can dress like a man. Well, transgenderism is the next step on that path. We're going to, when we come back, Carrie Gress is going to be joining us. God bless you. God love you. We'll be right back right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you really believe in a secret catching away of the church called the rapture? The pages of your Bible are empty of that type of talk. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, solid biblical doctrine is time-tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in Scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, Tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. I love the shows with a Catholic apologist. I love the shows with the sort of day-to-day psychologist, Greg and Lisa Popchek. I love hearing not just of other people's problems who call in, but I love getting the Catholic take on how to deal with day-to-day reality. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rui Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. The Epic Times reports, deepfake fraud surges more than a thousand percent. Insiders say it's just the beginning. Now imagine you get a phone call from a loved one tearfully claiming that they've been kidnapped. Naturally, the abductors want the money, 
and the voice of your family member proceeds to give instructions on how to deliver the ransom. You may be convinced it's the voice of your beloved on the other end, but there's a chance that it's not. Deepfake audio or voice cloning scams have spread like wildfire across the United States this year, blindsiding compassionate, unprepared individuals in multiple states. The market for deepfake detection has been valued at $3.86 billion in 2020 and is expected to grow 42% annually through 2026. Concerning story there. Breitbart reports Bud Light distributors give up trying to win back customers and cut 360 jobs. The beer giant announced on Wednesday that it has laid off almost 2% of its U.S. workforce, eliminating 360 jobs. Bud Light's U.S. sales were down 26.5% in the month beginning in, or actually ending in July. For months, the beer giant pulled every trick in the book, attempting to lure beer drinkers back after a prominent display of a so-called transgender woman on their beer. They ran a rebate for its products ahead of the 4th of July uh, celebration and Memorial Day, but it failed to see a positive impact on sales. And LifeSite reports, pro-life Catholic dad Mark Houck is running for Congress. Mark Houck, the pro-life Catholic husband and father of seven who was subjected to a guns-drawn raid by heavily armed FBI agents and hit with federal charges last year after defending his son from being harassed by an abortion escort, is running for U.S. Congress in Pennsylvania's 1st Congressional District. He says, quote, I have seen firsthand what an out-of-control government can do to its citizens. I will fight to protect all people and their rights under God and our Constitution. My platform is based on common sense. And those are your headline news this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts today. Did he say his platform is based? Uh, it sounds pretty based. Very based. I gotta say. Very based, one might say. Now, many people are thinking, what on earth are these Zoomers talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can think of one guy who can, yeah. be, might be wondering what our, our Zoomer speak is. But, but that's uh, great. I'm glad Mark Houck is running for Congress. We need, we yeah, need more so good people that are going to be running for office. Um, I personally will be running for King of Texas at a later date, hmm. um, but at the moment, uh, we'll, we'll hold off on that. But I think definitely uh, Catholics should get into the political sphere, run for office. Uh, let's take it over and uh, make America Catholic. I think that would be a wonderful and very beautiful thing. Amen. Uh, joining us right now is Carrie Gress. She is the author of The End of Woman, uh, amongst many, many other books and articles and so much more. Uh, but the relevant to today, The End of Woman, published by Regnery Press. Good morning to you, Dr. Gress. Good morning. It's good to have you on. And it's uh, very interesting because I would give away your book, The Anti-Mary Exposed, to people. Um, and I would always tell people, I was like, this is a really good book. Uh, she kind of goes after third wave feminism, but she really doesn't really touch first wave feminism at all. Um, just like keep that in mind when you read it. And it seems in this book that you've uh, actually come after feminism all the way to its roots. And I was like, whoa, like this is uh, this is great. Uh, praise be to God. So uh, tell me about the formulation of this book from the anti-Mary exposed to to, the, to this. Yeah, well, you know, the anti-Mary exposed, I was, did an it was an incredible book. I think it, you know, I'm still getting messages from people saying it's changed their lives and their lifestyles and, and just in incredible ways and certainly their marriages as well. So, but I had a lot of people saying, why can you make one that's Protestant friendly and one that is, you know, secular friendly that I can give to people that aren't of have any faith. And so that was kind of in the back of my mind. And I thought, well, I haven't dug into first wave feminism yet. Let me just go back and see what's there. And, you know, I thought I would just find some really lovely things about women. Like, I just had no idea what 
what was there. And then, of course, I started digging into it. And it, you know, it turns out it's like the crazy old aunt grandma in the attic. Like, there's some awful, awful, awful things um, that were going on during the first wave that I think so few of us know. And um, so anyway, that's really where the, the book just sort of took over, because I started seeing not only the problems in the first wave feminism, but how those problems led to the second wave and then, of course, led to where we're at now with the, the transgender movement. So the, the big question that early feminists were asking was, how do we how do we help women, but not how do we help women as women, but instead, how do we help women become men? Um, so with that question in mind, you can really see what's happened over 200 years and how we've gotten to this point where women are willingly subjecting themselves to presumably transgender um surgeries which of course you know cannot cannot be successful because of the the fact that there's so much locked into the body that's mm. that is female so that that's really where it started dr grass uh what was maybe your your most surprising finding as you were researching for this book oh wow you know there were several of them um i think one the first one was really to see the role that um the poet percy shelley played in this you know his wife was mary shelley who wrote frankenstein and She's developing this character that we we now all know of, um, or at least the book, and we've heard of it. Um, but he developed this character named Sithna, who was a, um, a, a, you know, obviously a fictional character, but she was the first independent woman. So she had no husband, no children. Um, her one relationship was actually with Satan. Oh, um, nice. So nice. that that was really shocking to see his influence in the 1800s and how much he influenced women like Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Susan B. Anthony. Um, so that was certainly one. And then in the 1900s, it was definitely to see the connection with Betty Friedan and communism, which um, I think, you know, most she she always claimed to be just a housewife. And her book, Feminine Mystique, sold three million copies within the first few years of its publication and has had enormous rippling effects around the world, um, especially with the acceptance of of abortion. And so those, I think, were the two things that were just probably the most shocking um, elements when I dug into this. You know, that reminds me of um, a quote that people often say. In fact, a friend of mine from high school, she just became a high school teacher at an all-girls school, and she put this mm -hmm. up on her whiteboard and with pictures of women surrounding it. It says, uh, well-behaved women seldom make history. And I'm thinking yeah. to myself, actually, every <laughs> woman I know that's famous is a well-behaved woman. I'm thinking of all the female saints um, so I think that's very interesting. Yeah. Where does that phrase come from? And can you break that down for me? Yeah, no, I mean, and that's actually the fascinating part that I dug into. The, my, my book is broken up into three parts. The first part is called The Lost Girls. And these are all the women that formed what we now know to be the feminist movement in, in the country. These are women that should never have been given any kind of control over public policy, over public thought, the public square in any way. All of them had deep, deep wounds and um, had a lot of anger and rage. And, you know, it's just amazing to see how influential they've been. So really, for the last 200 years, we can say that this this type of woman who's very angry and outspoken has really become the norm. And that's where it's it's come from. Um, but what it led to, of course, was the mean girls. And that's the second chapter of my book, which is really where the feminists realized how much power they could get from this. Because, as you know, you know, talking about feminism is sort of like kryptonite for men. Like men do not ever want to talk about the subject. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame you. It's so taboo. You're never going to win. You know, it's just better to just back away from the conversation. And um, so I think that that's where their power also has really expanded. And so 
um, if we can, they can continue to perpetuate this idea that angry and mean women um, are good, then that's really what what they're about. Um, and then, of course, the third part of the book is is called uh, No Girls, because that's the direction that we're going to now is just erasing entirely what it means to be a woman, erasing motherhood, erasing, um, you know, traces of it in the in the human body even. Yeah, that's very interesting. And you, you say that that's kind of a kryptonite for, for me to talk about it. And that's really true. I mean, last time I talked about it publicly, I had people telling me, uh, calling me a, a misogynist. They were saying that I, uh, I, I'm a wife beater, uh, which is funny because I'm not married. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, there you go, folks. Um, all these things come out of the woodwork whenever you start attacking this principle. But I think the reason is that it goes against decisions that people have made that are foundational to their entire lives. I'm thinking of uh, careerism and a lot of these ladies. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And that, you know, that's really the most tragic thing is that women have been told that they will be happy if they have a career and that their, their husbands and their children are obstacles to that happiness. And that comes straight out of Marx, out of Betty Friedan's, you know, devotion to Marx. She was a firm believer that women could only be free if they were out of the home um, because then they would be like men in the, the communist Soviet model, really. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just amazing to see the narcissism that it creates, the kind of self-centeredness that it creates, and the, just the breakup of of the, the marriage and the family. And, of course, that was the goal from the very beginning, um, was to, to end that. Um, and the free love element has also is another element. In fact, free love, the occult, and um, smashing the patriarchy were really the three pieces, the three threads that I found extending throughout the whole movement. And, um, you know, it's just been a deadly, deadly ideology, especially if like, you look at the abortion numbers in the world today, not just the United States, but in the world. There's more abortions in the world than there are natural deaths or deaths from wow. any other cause. Wow. Um, yeah, it's really overwhelming when you start seeing the numbers and what what that has done. I mean, these are this is a relationship that's the most tender relationship in all of the human world. And um, the feminists have found a way to to, to break that, to destroy us, wow. to talk us into believing that our children are, are our enemies. enemies. Amen. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, I want to pick up on that note about the feminism and the occult. Now, that's news to me. I didn't know about that. That's interesting. We'll pick up on that when we come back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Haven't you honestly wondered, why do all the different denominations break away from each other? Timeline, 1500s, Luther breaks from the Catholic Church. 16th century, John Knox is influenced by Calvin and breaks from Luther, thus the Presbyterians. 17th century, John Smith then breaks away and starts the Baptist. 18th century, Wesley breaks and starts the Methodist. Even crazier are all the scores of non-denominational individuals who break from each other, generally due to cosmic ego and, quote, a new revolution. Well, here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. Judges 21 says, quote, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Secondly, physics. Once the dam breaks, water goes where it will. Luther broke Canon Law 331, which says about the Pope, By virtue of his office, he possesses supreme, full, immediate, and universal ordinary power in the church. And thirdly, my take. Gifted theologians can be just like my fourth grade friend who said, I'm taking my bat and ball and going home. 
Hey, Donnie, who was the first pope to whom Jesus said, you are the rock upon which I will build my church? St. Peter. And who is the current pope? Pope Francis. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, we're talking about feminism. I know, I know, scary topic. Uh, we're talking about The End of Woman, a book authored by Dr. Carrie Gress, uh, published by Regnery. The many, many books worthy of purchasing from Dr. Gress. In fact, uh, The Anti Mary Exposed was a huge, like, bombshell. And when I was in college, Everybody in the university, all the women had gotten it, and all the men were reading it, and everybody was like, whoa, like this is crazy. Uh, so it was a pretty big bombshell when it came out, and I expect this is going to be very similar effect um, as it gains popularity. So check that out, Regnery Press. Uh, but Dr. Grass, thank you for joining us. I want to pick up on what we were talking about before we went to a break. I want to pick up on the occult aspect in a second, but I also was thinking about the careerism and there was a phrase, and I don't know the source from it. I heard it from, I believe it was Michael Knowles where I heard it from first. He said that one of the first wave feminists made the comment, we have to force women into the workforce because if given the opportunity, they would choose to stay home. And I thought that was a very, very interesting observation. Um, what is your thought about that? Yeah. Yeah, that came from Simone de Beauvoir, um, who was right on the, the edge of first and second wave feminism. And she said that to Betty Friedan. I mean, that's that, that in a conversation, that's actually where the quote came from. And so you can see Betty Friedan's work being so effective because she was a psychology um, student of psychology. And she really did an amazing job of convincing women that they should leave the home. First of all, she called it a comfortable concentration camp. Now, she's speaking to like the most educated most wealthy civilization, uh, you know, group of women in all of history. And she's telling them they live in a comfortable concentration camp, um, which, you know, I have no idea how she got away with that. Um, but the other um, reality was she used a lot of tactics that we see now, certainly in the woke movement, this idea of um, letting women know that this they've been victimized, um, that they're missing out, you know, all of those things that women are really glom onto, you know, because it sounds like these are important things. You know, it's that same thing that Satan did with Eve. Um, that, that same question, you know, what are you missing out on? Um, when he tempted her with the, the fruit. So that, that was really an effective method of, of getting women out of, of the home. And, um, you know, once it started in growing in popularity, then they used a lot of other media tactics, um, a lot of savvy um, women. They use television, they use magazines, you know, all of those things. And it's just perpetuated. Barbie's just the, the latest iteration of that, um, where we're indoctrinating really a new generation into believing that the patriarchy's bad. It always needs to be smashed. Um, women are good. And the more women are in control, the, the more peaceful civilization will be, which, of course, is not at all true. Either. You know, it's interesting so. because I was told recently that um, if women ran the world, there would be no wars. And I thought that was a very strange thing to right. say, um, because as if as if the reason why wars happen is because of men, as if women are not in positions of power throughout, throughout the world yeah. today. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on where that comes from and the truth to that? 
Yeah, so a lot of the movement got started and really animated around the time of the Vietnam War, and that was one of their talking points. You know, all of these things are great bumper stickers. They're, they're really easy to say. They sound really good. You know, you see them on signs at women's movements, women's marches. Um, but, yeah, that's definitely another one that um, Kate Millett in particular picked up on that, and she talked about how um, – Men were had this the strength to be able to go into a war zone and kill innocent people. And so she believed it was a, a woman's duty to have that kind of strength and, and be able to kill her own child in abortion. Wow. And she didn't mince words here. I mean, this was a very clear specification. So that that but she also believed that that men were the ones that were responsible for all of the wars. And so to be able to end them, it, women had to be in charge, which of course, you know, we've seen in our own domestic lives and and just in the, in the United States that that doesn't bear fruit that's not exactly the case at all um but again it's these kinds of of um you know sound bites that just keep drilling through the culture mm-hmm. and people believe them because we don't have you know enough on the other side saying you know that's ridiculous um and really pointing that out Okay, so I want to, uh, this, I mean, each one of these topics could be addressed in an hour-long format yeah, each uh, sure. alone. Uh, so I recommend people go get pretty much all of your books, but The End of Woman is the one we're talking about today. Um, the, so let's go over to the occult. I was yeah. not aware that there was an occult element um, tied into all this, I, so let me know about this. Yeah, so the occult element is actually huge, especially in the 1800s and the early feminist movement. Again, Percy Shelley has, um, went back to Genesis and really rewrote the book. I mean, he wanted to, fr- to, to say that Eve was framed and that she was actually, um, really liberated by the serpent. The serpent was good and, and gave her a new kind of knowledge. Um, so the fall wasn't really her fault. And this was picked up on by Elizabeth Cady Stanton, um, who was also very anti-Christian in her later life. She, she was raised a Calvinist. Um, but she ended up getting involved in theosophy as well as other atheist organizations. She actually wrote this book called The Women's Bible that you can still purchase. And um, it's a, a kind of a combination of different women that contributed to it. But some of them were avowed theosophists, um, which was definitely a new age, you know, amalgamation of religions. Um, and actually, um, they and that comes very comes through very clearly. In fact, if you read it, it's it's almost laughable. It's sort of like a teenager, an angry teenager writing um, a commentary to the Bible. Like it's it's really silly. Um, but theosophy didn't go away either. In fact, later Gloria Steinem talked about her mother was a theosophist. Um, so there there's this thread of the occult in all these different ways. Kate, Elizabeth Cady Stanton was also very involved in seances. She had friends that were mediums, and um, that created, obviously, a lot of division in the, the women's suffragette movement. Um, but it was at this time of the, the Great Awakening, uh, the Second Great Awakening in the United States, and mediums and seances were really common because people had lost so many loved ones in the Civil War. So many children had died, and, and these mediums offered the opportunity to contact the dead, and that was really appealing to people at that time. So... All of these things, you know, we have this very, I think, pristine vision of what the 1800s look like. And um, I think this book kind of blows that up. You know, like, this is not really what that's not really what was going on. There was really a lot more very dark um, elements that, that were happening, happening that were motivating the movement. Mm, wow, that's that's incredible. And the other thing that's incredible, what you were saying was you said he at the, at the beginning there. So the first feminists were men, which I guess makes sense, because how did these things 
uh, get kick-started if men ran the world um, and women are saying that the women, that men are oppressing them, but then how did they get the rights to begin with if the men didn't give it to them? So uh, what is the role of men in this whole situation? So that's a great question. So um, the the first, the godmother of feminism, as she's called, is Mary Wollstonecraft and her son, son-in-law that she never met because she died in childbirth with her first daughter or second, sorry, second daughter, Mary Godwin. Um, He perpetuated, he wanted to take her movement, the work that she had already done and really amplify it. And, and he called it the women's revolution. So he's hugely involved. Um, You also have Mary Wollstonecraft's husband, William Godwin, who was very much against marriage and against monogamy. And um, he, you also have, the, it's the French Revolution, you have the Marquis de Sade writing at the time. So the idea is to get rid of taboos altogether. And free love was just this huge movement. That's what Godwin was known for. Um, that's what Percy Shelley practiced. In fact, there's just some really searing um, criticism of him because he, it, there were so many suicides by his first, his first wife, who um, he left for Mary Shelley, for Mary Godwin. Um, she committed suicide. I think she was pregnant with their second child because he abandoned her. I mean, there's just all this awfulness that's going on. Um, so yeah, there's there were definitely men involved, and in, for you know, like always, for good or for for ill, and um, we're we're very involved in it. Mary, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, um, her her husband was involved to a certain degree, but there were other men on the on the outside that were also involved. And then, of course, in the 1900s, it's all communism. It's all these communist operatives who are working underground, who are trying to take over the institutions. So um, they see a vested interest in having women involved as these minorities that can sort of be involved as the second, you know, guard when they when the revolution finally comes to pass. So they have an interest in in making sure that women are on board, too. They also saw it as important for getting women um, to stop buying things because they realized that women spent they were like 80 to 85% of, of controlling what the purchases in the family. Um, and that's something that Betty Friedan goes after also is, you know, stop buying things. Um, <laughs> so it, it's really interesting to see how it's all interwoven. And unfortunately, I didn't go into the, the masculine side of things mm. or what men were doing so much, in, except in Percy Shelley's case or in secondary roles, because it, it's it's about the, the movement. Right. Um, but I think it's a huge question that we see even developing more in the 70s when the, the new left comes around and so many of those ideas, including the book, um, The Sexual Revolution, which was written in 1963, which was the blueprint for the sexual revolution. It was written by um, a, a scholar from the Frankfurt School um, who taught that to his students. And then that's what evolved in the 1960s mm-hmm. and 70s. Now, we're, so it's everybody. Everybody's in the boat. Yeah, it seems like it. It seems like it. It's always uh, the, the enemy surrounds you on every side. Uh, we have about a minute and a half left in our conversation. With the time we have left, I want to give the, because we've kind of painted a very bleak outlook. So I want to end off with saying, okay, uh, what is the hope for the future and what is the authentic vision that we want to promote? Yeah. Yeah. And that's really where I end the book. I mean, it's, I think it's, it's incredibly hopeful because we told women for 50 years how to be like men. Um, but what happens when you start telling women that they can be like women and that motherhood, whether it's biological, psychological or spiritual, is an important element in, in our lives. And from there, we can really see families 
heal. We can see families develop. We can see culture coming back into its own instead of this constant battle of the sexes, which is what has been aggravated for so long. Um, so I think it's really hopeful because there's so many women who are questioning it, who are not impressed with it as a movement. They're really searching for something new and fresh. And I think men in general have rejected it for a long time. Um, so I think if we can start getting men and women on the same page and just really understanding the poison that it is to all of us, um, I think that's going to go a long way. And then what is the the correct vision of a woman? Your, your title of your book, very provocative, The End of Woman. Uh, so what is, right. and then the, Matt Walsh probably popularized the question, uh, what is right. a woman? So to ask you, Dr. Gress, what is a woman? Yeah. I mean, I could give you his answer, an adult female human, but I think it goes deeper than that. It's it's motherhood. Um, it really is. And that's what they've been trying to get rid of. Um, you know, you can see where the problems are by where, what they're targeting. And again, not just biological, but psychological and physical, which is a kind of sheltering of other people to allow them to grow into their own potential. Um, this is what women have always done. This is what women do. This is what women excel at. And, um, you know, we can see that in the pet craze. Women are dying to mother something. And this is why we spend $700 million on Halloween costumes for our animals. Um, women are hungry to mother. Um, so that's, I, I think, that the, the simple answer and the one that's really hard for people to swallow because we've been told otherwise for so long. Um, and yet we're unhappy. So I think that that solves a lot of our issues if we start going back to those basics and seeing that in, all in a new light. Amen. Amen. I think that's a great way to uh, close that interview. Uh, Dr. Grass, check out her book, The End of Woman, published by Regnery Press. God bless you, and thank you for being on. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for the first hour. If you can join us in the next hour, we're going to be talking with Alan Smith about Fulton Sheen. Actually, we're talking more about women. We're saying the holy name of Mary and hearing her voice coming up in just one moment. Don't go anywhere. You're not going to want to miss it. And God bless you. God love you. And remember, check out Carrie Gress's book, The End of Woman, Regnery Press. God bless you. God love you. See you in just one moment. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the Bible sufficient to answer all questions about Christian living and church life? Well, the answer is definitively no. There isn't agreement on scores of doctrinal issues, such as the effects of baptism, who can receive communion, once saved, always saved, abortion, or how about eligibility for marriage after divorce? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, fruit analysis. Luther, Calvin, and Zwingli, who are the fathers of non-Catholic Christianity, did not rid the unbiblical practices they despised, but instead turned out to be the progenitors of some 50 denominations and scores of divergent beliefs. Secondly, natural reason. Well, if the Bible alone is supposed to clarify all beliefs, the very fact that such division prevails is actually proof that an arbiter of doctrine is desperately needed. And thirdly, the golden twins. Sacred scripture and sacred tradition will always prevail as the foundation of all Christian truth, doctrines, and beliefs. Remember, identical twins come from one egg. I actually was gone from the Catholic Church for 35 years. I want to get to heaven. I don't know if I will. I mean, 
I worry about it. But I not only want to get to heaven at the moment of my death, I want to find as much heaven as possible here on earth. So I need help. I don't know why I turned on my radio because I've kept my radio off for years. And once I turned it on, I was absolutely hooked. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Celebrating the culture of life. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, this is Coach Kimball from Arrows and Strake Jesuit Rugby. You're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. It was a very, very enlightening conversation. I haven't had the chance to read her book yet, um, and I am super intrigued because I've really enjoyed her anti-Mary Exposed. I love reading her articles. I've listened to many of her interviews. I haven't read her Theology of the Home, um, though I'd love to. I'd love to read that as well. Bring it in for you. I, I think it's a great book. Okay, super a, cool. It's a trilogy. Okay, cool. I only have the first one. The, Perfect. The first one's really cool. Bring it in. Bring it in. I'd love yeah. to look at it, uh, at least skim the book a little bit. Um, because I was always trying to get a grasp of quite what exactly was the theology of the home that she's yeah. talking about. But it was such a good conversation. So check it out. And apparently this one is more um, your average normie friendly, meaning like non-Catholics. So Protestants, secularists could read it and kind of grasp her understanding because the anti-Mary exposed is very clearly like the answer is Our Lady. Mm. Um, whereas here it's more, um, this is the, the destruction of it and here's the objectively true answer. Uh, so very good, very good. I'm glad she has both those as options for people uh, to be able to find out. And both are going to be good because one attacks third wave feminism. The other one gets the root of the problem. I think I'm, I'm going to go get the book and I'm going to read it. Uh, but joining us right now is Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen Today. We're talking about Fulton Sheen, of course, uh, but more specifically, we're talking about the Holy Name of Mary and hearing her voice. Uh, good morning to you, Mr. Smith. Oh, one second. We uh, can't hear you at the moment. Let's see if we can get that uh, working. I'm not sure if it's, uh, let's see. Alan, can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you Perfect. fine. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. Good. <laughs> right. Uh, Technology is a great thing when it works, but uh, <laughs> every so often there's a little you know, curveball thrown to us, but it's all good. It's all good. Anyway, no, thanks for having me on again. It's always good to talk about Fulton Sheen and the wisdom he gave to millions of souls over the years and continues to give today. So uh, we're going to talk about Our Lady's voice. And, um, you know, you talked last week about how you wrote the name of Mary and you place it over the foot of your bed or the head of your bed or wherever in your room, you know, uh, but still, you know, the name of Mary, the beautiful holy name of Mary. And I've heard sermons before talking about the voice of Mary and the effect that her voice has. Um, we think of the scriptures and, of course, uh, the cousin Elizabeth when Mary uh, went to visit her. And uh, again, it's quoted in scripture where uh, St. Elizabeth says, you know, when I heard your voice, the child in my mm. womb leapt for joy. So uh, just think of if you could relive um, in the time of Mary, what her voice would do to people. 
and the effect it would have. And so Fulton Sheen wrote a few notes down for us back in 1945 about the voice of Mary, and we'll share a few of those insights today. So first thought when you said that, the first thought when you said, okay, what, what kind of effect would it have on you? I immediately thought of St. Joan of Arc. Because many people just do, do not understand St. Joan of Arc. They see her as some kind of feminist icon, which is absurd. Uh, but Joan of Arc, it was said that when she, which, that there was a particular case, that she got in a carriage with a man, and this man had ill will towards her, wanted to do very ill things to her uh, because of her beauty. And when he saw her and spoke with her, his heart completely changed. And he had a purity of heart overflow over him. And he repented and confessed to her what he was planning to do in his head and told her what he was thinking and what he would wanted to do. And he repented of it and he became a man pure of heart just by the purity of St. Joan of Arc. And if that's true of her, how much more true would that be of our Blessed Lady? Yes. Yes, and you think of her role in salvation history. Um, Fulton Sheen wrote that the Blessed Virgin Mary mothered the infant church. Uh, of course, he um, departed. Uh, they had crucified him. Uh, our Lord had gone to heaven. And so the apostles were left to, uh, you know, take up their cross and, of course, preach the gospel and, you know, share <laughs> share the, the glories of our Lord. But they needed a coach. I don't mean to say that Our Lady was a coach, but boy, did she console them. Did she comfort them? Who was she, you know, in the upper room? Who were they with? They were with her. And so you just think of the calming effect of her voice and her wisdom, for she knew the Lord well. We think of the blessing of St. John, how he took her into his home and would have had that, uh, just that reassurance uh, that he had, uh, again, one of the greatest gifts given to all of humanity in the Blessed Virgin Mary. But again, her voice. And, you know, I think especially at the wedding feast of Cana and how the um, the uh, servants who uh, collected the water that was turned into wine, Our Lady said to them, do whatever he tells you. So mm. can you imagine being one of those wine servants uh, and hearing the voice of Mary say, do whatever he tells you. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing to think about. And, you know, the sweetness of her voice and yet the commanding nature of it as well. I mean, we think about whenever she appears to people, it's always like she was the sweetest, most beautiful woman. And yet the things that she tells us are very stark, very poignant. She doesn't mince words. She's not going on with flowery language, even if her words are sweet. She doesn't speak frivolously. She speaks only exactly what is necessary. And I think that's very interesting to, to think about. Right. And I think what Fulton Sheen was trying to do was to point to Our Lady as a beautiful example. You know, we all struggle with our behavior. How do we act? What do we do? And Fulton Sheen was saying, you know, look to Mary as that example. Look at her life, her life of service, her life of charity. And her life always just, her focus was Christ. Um, I think of how Our Lady and St. Joseph lost our blessed Lord for three days, and yet she sought him. And yet we lose the Lord through sin, 
sometimes just, uh, um, you know, I just want to say we're just too casual with about our faith, but we lose our Lord. And yet Our Lady is that beautiful example to seek the Lord while he may be found. So again, this idea of she is the mother that can teach us. She is just saying to look to me, look at my example. And you just open your Bible and you see example after example of how Our Lady uh, just shows us the way. But of course, the focus is on Jesus. Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful to think about. I think the, I, I love also thinking about the same, in the same vein, the name of Mary. Like the many commentators talk about it and how it's the reversal of Eve, the Ave versus the Eva um, is a, is almost, it's this recognition that Our Lady fulfills everything that is, that God has desired. And he is, she has come to um, smash the head of the serpent. Um, we were talking to Dr. Kerry Gress a second ago and talking about the feminist movement wanting to smash the patriarchy, uh, whereas Our Lady submits to the Father and smashes the head of the serpent. I think that's something amazing to think about. You think about powerful women, right? Uh, who more powerful than the woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, the crown of 12 stars, uh, smashing the head of the serpent, a woman terrible as an army in battle array, queen of angels. And I just think that that's something that is um, lost among seculars, amongst Protestants even, and why I think a lot of women wanted to move to the feminist movement was because they lost Our Lady. Yes. And, you know, you talk about a battle, and I think this is what Our Lady offers us, is she's saying, I will teach you how to fight. I will teach you how to take up arms. Uh, of course, Fulton Sheen encouraged the praying of the rosary. But he made mention, um, again, he tied the seven last words, our blessed Lord spoke from the cross, and the seven times that Our Lady spoke in Scripture. But there's that time where our Lord speaks, my God, my God, why have you thou forsaken me? And of course, many of us know it's the beginning of a famous psalm that many people quote. And uh, again, it starts off with a despair, but ends in victory. And Our Lady had an anthem. She had a battle cry. And it was what we pray every day when we recite the Magnificat. And I think it's worth mm. saying over the air, because again, it, I want to give this to you as your battle cry. And so we think of Our Lady saying, my soul doth magnify the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because he has regarded the hum humility of his handmaid. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed, because he that is mighty has done great things to me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is from generation unto generation to them that fear him. He that shone might in his arm, he has scattered the proud in the conceit of their heart. He hath put down the mighty from their seat and has exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He hath received Israel his servant, being mindful of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And so that is the battle cry I leave with you today to uh, encourage you to, uh, of course, uh, follow Mary and her voice. Amen. You know, I've been recently trying to get into praying the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and we pray that the Magnificon every day in the, in the little office. It's actually pray every day in the, in the divine office as well. If someone was praying that, or priests and religious pray that. Uh, but one thing I thought 
while you were praying that, it was the Divine Office, was one of the psalms that is prayed at none, um, referring to the Blessed Virgin. And all the psalms that are chosen for this, for the um, little office of Our Lady, is directed towards remembering Our Lady. And it says, In vain do you rise before the light, rise not till you have rested, O ye that eat the bread of sorrow. When he giveth sleep to his beloved, lo, children are an heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb a reward. Like as arrows in the hand of the mighty one, so are the children of the outcast. Blessed is the man whose desire is satisfied with them. He should not be confounded when speaking with his enemies in the gate. And we think of Our Lady and how blessed is the fruit of her womb. And this idea that the most important thing about Our Lady is the fact that she is the Virgin Mother. Because what two categories of women are saved? Are they the saints in heaven? They're the virgins and there's the mothers. And Our Lady embodies both perfectly as a Virgin Mother. Uh, what do you think about that, Mr. Smith? Well, she talks about what I like to say, the secret to sanctity. It's about becoming holy. And I think that's what we many of us struggle with, is how can I become holy? Well, we think of two examples of Our Lady. And of course, she unites her will to the will of God. She says to the angel Gabriel, be it done to me according to thy word. She gives God her yes. And we have that opportunity every day to give God our yes. And yet, she also, at the end of her life, when she says, do whatever he tells you, she's reminding us to unite our will to God the Father, to take up our cross daily and follow him. And so it's so important, again, our holy will, that we unite it not only to our Lord's will, but to our Lady's will, because she wants what's best for us. She wants us to get to heaven. And so it's important that we know that we have that encouragement from our mother to help us to get to heaven so we can take that to the bank. Amen. Amen. Now, last thing here, um, Alan, before we run out of time, is Bishop Sheen today. If people want to hear what Bishop Sheen had to say from himself, um, where can people find um, some of his works on Our Lady? Right. Well, uh, bishopsheentoday.com is the website set up over 10 years ago where we feature over 100 of Sheen's uh, reflections, uh, courses, talks that you can find on YouTube. We've cataloged them all together. Uh, we have a, a archive of many recordings. I've been on the radio for over 10 years, sharing Sheen's uh, many reflections from his retreats, uh, his catechism series, all of these things. And of course, there's a list of books that he wrote many of them. They're available for purchase. So again, that website simply bishopsheentoday.com. Check it out, bishopsheentoday.com. Thank you very much, Alan, for joining us. Uh, we'll see you in the after show. God bless you and God love you. Thank you. God love you too. And that's going to do it. We're going to go into our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we're going to give out prizes and you could win. How do you do so? Call now, 877-757-9424-877-757-9424. Call now and you could be a winner because we are going to give away a prize. And the way that you win, it's really simple. All you got to do is pick up the phone and dial this number, and you're going to have an opportunity to be a winner today. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. We'll be right back with Fear and Trembling right after this.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. In your view, was the Virgin Mary simply an obedient woman who willingly gave biological and maternal matter to Jesus and therefore has been given undue adoration? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Virgin Mary is in the first book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, all through the Gospels and close to 15 other typologies throughout Scripture. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most revered object in the history of the children of Israel. That ark carried the presence of God. Well, goodness, the Virgin Mary did not just carry the presence of God. She carried God himself. Thirdly, something to think on. If God is a father, he is, and we are known as his children, we are, and the body of Christ are called brothers and sisters, they are. Wouldn't God provide a mother for his church? He did. So here's an idea. Ask a wartime veteran who soldiers cry out for in a moment of fear. That's right, their mother. Mother Mary, pray for us. Ever feel like life's just too much? Maybe it's time for a change. God offers us relief and hope. So if you're feeling like you need more peace today, begin at catholicscomehome.com. I used to wonder if God really cared about me. Then I started praying and going to church. I realized that God in my life was the difference between occasionally being happy and finding lasting joy. If you're looking for something more, check out catholicscomehome.com. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 7579424 you could be a winner how do you do so all you got to do is pick up the phone and dial 8777579424 we always take the first caller so the next person to pick up the phone and dial 8777579424 will in fact be the contestant now you may be saying what is the contestant going to be doing well it's very simple i have three catholic trivia questions three catholic trivia questions that i'm going to ask not you I'm going to ask Rudy the questions, so even if you don't even know the answers, if you don't know anything about Catholic trivia, you could still win, because I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. He's going to give me an answer. It's your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong. And that means even if you just guess, there's a 50-50 chance of you getting the answer correct. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. The prize pack this week was provided by Visions of the Good Help. You could win a miraculous metal tote bag and a, a journal as well as some other goodies. Now, this prize was given to us by Theone Bell. And Theone, we love Theone. She is an author. She's the author of Woman in the Trees, a novel based on America's first Marian approved, approved Marian apparition. You can find that through Tan Books. She lives here in Houston with her husband and three children and four in heaven and has an M.A. in international journalism. She also teaches literature to a room full of exuberant grade schoolers at the local co-op that uh, our family goes to. And recently, she wrote Glory Story number 18. And if you don't know what Glory Stories are, you should check them out. They are amazing if you have kids. She wrote Our Lady of Champion with Holy Heroes. And her picture book, Jelly Bean, was written after she lost a baby to stillbirth and will be out soon with Holy Heroes as well. Now, if you want to find out more about Theone, you can go to theonibell.com or Visions of the Good Help on Etsy if you want to buy some of her 
uh, wares, uh, some of the things we're giving away this week. Thank you so much, Theoni, for sponsoring our game show, Fear and Trembling. Thank you very much for that um, generous donation. Now, the uh, that number to call, 877-757-9424. And remember, if you need to be able to uh, get that number down on your speed dial, which I highly recommend so you can always be the first caller, you can go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. If you go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT, we will be able to get your information, or you'll be able to get our information rather there and write down our phone number so you can easily call in and make sure you're the first caller. But we have somebody on the line now. Uh, let's see here. Uh, joining us right now is, um, who am I speaking with? Hi, good morning. My name's Cindy. Cindy. Good morning to you, Cindy. Good Cin- morning. Cindy, where are you calling in from? Um, I'm calling in uh, driving to Fort Worth. Driving Ooh. to Fort Worth. Um, I'll be driving yeah. to Fort Worth in a couple of weeks, actually. So I'm going to be spending some time in Dallas coming up in a few weeks. I don't know off the top of my head how many weeks it is from today. But I'll be looking forward to that. So tell me, um, you're heading to work? I am. Is work, uh, let's see, um, what, should I, what should I guess? She's uh, an electrical engineer. She's an electrical engineer. Is that true? You're an electrical engineer? <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. Not quite. She's um, a professional conservation. Player. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Cindy, where are you heading to? Um, I'm actually heading to a hospital in Fort Worth. I'm a nurse, but I work in quality. So. There you oh, go. Cool. There you go. See, I was going to say something in the medicine field. Praise yeah. be to God. Praise be to God. Now, Cindy, um, you're familiar with the show. Do you know how everything works? I do. Perfect. Then you know you got to be careful because Rudy can, in fact, be tricky sometimes, and you got to be careful not to fall for it. Are you ready to play? I'm ready. All right. I'm looking at the questions here today, and I got to say, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Question number one for you, Rudy. Okay. Name the patron of the United States of America. This one's really surprising. It blew me away while I was doing the research for it. So a lot of people think that George Washington was a Mason, Mm. but they don't know that at the end of his life, he was converted. Oh. And he had a a moment of repentance. He threw everything away. And now, as a canonized saint, he is the patron of the United States. Wow. Which pope founder? Which pope? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. (laughs) I don't know that. Interesting. So you're saying... George Washington. George Washington. Can you believe it? Wow. I, the I, guy on the quarter. I guess it doesn't matter if I believe it. The question is, does Cindy believe it? All right, Cindy. 15 seconds on the clock. Name the patron of the United States. Rudy seems to think it's St. George Washington. What say you, Cindy, from uh, driving into Fort Worth, Texas? You know, sorry, Rudy. I'm going to have to disagree. I don't <laughs> Right. Okay, let's see. Is is she correct? Let's find out. That is, in fact, correct, Cindy. Uh, no, George Washington is not a saint. Although some say that he converted. I'm not so sure about that. Yeah, I was talking to a historian about this, uh, a early American historian, and he was saying that, um, he's like, yeah... It would be nice if it was true, but we literally have zero evidence <laughs> saying that he converted on his deathbed. But I guess... 
it's technically possible. Who is the patron? It is the Immaculate Conception, the Immaculate Our Lady, Conception. the Blessed Virgin Mary, under the title Let's of go. the Immaculate Conception. So pray to the Immaculate Conception, especially since August is month devoted to the Immaculate Conception. So praise be to God. Oh, Mary conceived without sin. Pray, pray for, for us, us who have recourse to thee. All right, Cindy, are you ready for question number two? I'm ready. Let's do it. I'm sure she's going to get this one. She's going to knock it out of the park. Um, let's see. The question on the board is, what did St. Paul do to make a living? Okay, so nowadays we have people, professional builders, they build mm. houses. You got mm -hmm. framers, you got drywallers mm -hmm. and that stuff. Right. Well, back then they didn't have drywall. They didn't have bricks. and so, Well, they had bricks, but they, it wasn't a common thing because people were moving around. So before St. Paul was blasted by light and knocked off his horse, he was a tent maker. He used to build the houses that people would use and migrate around the uh, Middle East with. Okay. So you're saying a tent maker. Yeah. Got it. All right, Cindy. Only the finest. Perhaps, perhaps you've read the Bible. I don't know. And 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, what did St. Paul do for a living? Rudy seems to think he was a tent maker. And what say you, Cindy, from Fort Worth, Texas? Is he right or is he wrong? You know, I'm thinking he actually may be right. I can't remember who the tent maker was, you know, but I'm going to... I'm going to put my faith in Rudy's answer. Wow. <laughs> Placing your faith in Rudy. That's a dangerous thing to do. Let's see if you're correct, because that is, in fact, correct. <laughs> yeah, he was a tent maker. He was, in fact, a tent maker. He made tents, and that's how he paid to uh, to do the to, to eat, to sleep, to be merry. I guess he wasn't too merry. He had thorn in his side. <laughs> uh, but there you go, Cindy. Praise be to God. You did wonderful. You're uh, clearly a Bible scholar is what I'm noticing. Are you ready for question number three? I'm ready. All right. She's done good so far. So let's see if we um, if we can't trick her up on this last one here. What you got to say? This one, it's a bit surprised. I'm surprised by how many people actually know this. Hmm. So let's find out. Okay. Who said, quote, Will no one rid me of this troublesome priest? End quote. I laugh because... It's probably one of those situations where he didn't actually mean that. Kind of like that one time I was sitting on the couch and my wife told me, hey, Spotify is going to increase the prices. I said, get rid of that. I don't want to pay for that. And then she did. <laughs> and now I have to listen to ads. Uh, well, that actually was <laughs> King Henry II. And, well, we don't really know if he meant it or not, but some people think that he might have just said that as kind of like a hyperbole. Mm. And then they killed Thomas Beckett. Oh, wow. So, well, St. Thomas Beckett, pray for us. You know, it happens. Every once in a while, you accidentally are the king and tell people to murder other people by mistake. It happens to the best get of us. Get rid of Spotify. Yeah, get rid of Spotify, murder Thomas Beckett. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. Yeah, um, basically. I'll make sure not to make that mistake when I become king. All right, Cindy, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, who said, will no one rid me of this troublesome priest? Um, Rudy seems to think it's King Henry II before the murder of Thomas Beckett. What say you, Cindy? You know, I'm not one of those people that actually know the answer to this question. So now my mental debate is, is it Henry II or Henry VIII? I'm going to trust Rudy, and I'm going to I'm gonna go with this answer. Wow, and he's trusting him <laughs> twice in a row? Well, know, let's see. We're going to find out whether or not that was a good decision to make. 
And it was a good decision to make. That was, in fact, correct. And, yeah, Rudy's right. Um, many people debate the history of that. They're like, yeah, I think he was probably just talking to one of his advisors. And he was just, like, very upset. He was like, well, thought someone get rid of this priest. And one of his soldiers uh, had walked in and heard him say that. He's like, oh, oh I, can, time. I can win the favor of the king by doing this. And he went off and killed Beckett. With, uh, and the king was like, what? I didn't actually mean to kill him. Dude, he um, was my best friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny, but also tragic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah So terrible Seriously. situation. Uh, other people say that he was being coy. And he did actually want them to kill him. He was just trying to wash his hands of it and be like, oh, I totally didn't mean for anybody to take me literally on that. Um, so we don't actually know. But nonetheless, that is what happened. Uh, but very good, Cindy. Three for three. How do you feel? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. And hey, I just want to give you guys just kudos and a shout out. I, I listen to you guys as often as I can. And I just really appreciate you guys being on the air. Oh, wow. I appreciate that. Real. So, Praise be to God. Great job, guys. Thank you very much, Cindy. We love to hear that. We uh, we love to have our questions, comments, concerns, soapboxes, negativities, and <laughs> positivities. Um, that's the one people always forget is uh, is that part. So God bless you, Cindy. God love you, and um, thank you very much. We really appreciate that. Keep up the good work. All right. We're going to put you on hold and make sure we get your contact information so we can draw your name. Uh, if we draw your name tomorrow, we can make sure we get you that prize. But stay on the hold. All right. All right. And that's going to do it for the radio side. If you could join us in the after show, hop on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, Twitter, and you can interact with us directly. We answer your questions. Whatever it is you want to talk about, we'll talk about. So just leave a comment down below and we'll get to it. But if not, we'll see you back 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you very soon. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Mass live from Our Lady of Corpus Christi, home of the Salt community. For more information, check out salt.net or ourladyofcorpuschristi.org. Today we celebrate Thursday of the 17th week of the year. We offer this holy sacrifice of the Mass for all of our online viewers and all those listening to Guadalupe Radio Network. God, Father, praise and glory, Thy children bring to Thee. Thy grace and peace to mankind shall now forever be. O most holy Trinity, Undivided unity, Holy God, Mighty God, God immortal be adored. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Christ eleison, Christ eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Let us pray. O God, protector of those who hope in you, without whom nothing has firm foundation, nothing is holy. Bestow in abundance your mercy upon us, and grant that with you as our ruler and guide, we may use the good things that pass in such a way as to hold fast even now to those that ever endure. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Exodus. Moses did exactly as the Lord had commanded him. On the first day of the first month of the second year, the dwelling was erected. It was Moses who erected the dwelling. He placed its pedestals, set up its boards, put in its bars, and set up its columns. He spread the tent over the dwelling and put the covering on top of the tent, as the Lord had commanded him. He took the commandments and put them in the ark. He placed poles alongside the ark and set the propitiatory upon it. He brought the ark into the dwelling and hung the curtain veil thus screening off the Ark of the Commandments as the Lord had commanded him. Then the Lord covered the meeting tent, and the glory of the Lord filled the dwelling. Moses could not enter the meeting tent because the cloud settled upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the dwelling. Whenever the cloud rose from the dwelling, the children of Israel would set out on their journey. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not go forward. Only when it lifted did they go forward. In the daytime, the cloud of the Lord was seen over the dwelling, whereas at night, fire was seen in the cloud by the whole house of Israel in all stages of their journey. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, mighty God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, mighty God. My soul yearns and pines for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, mighty God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest in which she puts her young. Your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, mighty God. Blessed they who dwell in your house, continually they praise you. 
Blessed the men whose strength you are. They go from strength to strength. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, mighty God! I had rather one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I had rather lie at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord, mighty God! Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. Open our hearts, O Lord, that to listen to the words of your Son. Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the disciples, The kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea, which collects fish of every kind. When it is full, they haul it ashore and sit down to put what is good into buckets. What is bad, they throw away. Thus it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be wailing and grinding of teeth. Do you understand all these things? They answered, Yes. And he replied, Then every scribe who has been instructed in the kingdom of heaven is like the head of a household, who brings from his storeroom both the new and the old. When Jesus finished these parables, he went away from there. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. What is good and what is bad in the kingdom of heaven depends on if it's really for the king, for that actual kingdom, that, that Jesus Christ is number one that he is Lord, that he has pride of place, that he is the priority in your life. Now, in the first reading, Moses was commanded exactly all the prescriptions of how God, the Lord God, wanted them to worship. Even, you know, carving out these images in the Ark of the Covenant, the angels and the, the mercy seat and the poles and the columns and the tent and the covering. All of those things were prescribed by Moses. Now, and then he just, God had just finished saying, don't, don't carve out any images. The first commandment was don't carve out any images. But then he commanded them that almost the next breath, I want you to make the sanctuary just so, with all of these just visible things in it. That is to say, there's certain things in our life, images or experiences, impressions, feelings, all of it, that lead you to worship of God, that Jesus is number one. And there are certain things that lead you away from that. Now, it's interesting, right after he introduces these things, Jesus says, then the good scribe will be the one that takes the new and the old. Why does he say that? What is the new and the old associated with getting what is good and bad? Well, the tendency for humans is to cling to what was ever old or what is ever new because it is old or because it is new. And that's not what he's saying. Let's 
What's most important is not when it came about. If it was the time of Adam or Abraham, Moses, the time of, you know, Pope, the first Pope Peter, or the, the you know, the Council of uh, Trent, or the Second Vatican Council, or whatever. Because I've heard really idiotic claims in, in seminary. It was actually kind of funny. Where you get these groups of people, they say, anything after the Second Vatican Council is wonderful and beautiful and praiseworthy. Anything before, oh, we didn't know what we were doing. Almost as like the Holy Spirit wasn't there or something. Likewise, you get people who cling to the past and they say, anything after the Second Vatican Council is just condemnable. It's horrible. It's bad. And it's like both of those views are completely idiotic. When was the Holy Spirit receding in the church? When, did he, when was he not in charge? When was Jesus not the head of the church? What day of church history was he not the king of kings? All of it. He is going to be the Lord yesterday, today, and forever. Every day, Jesus is in charge, period. That means that you don't have this strange attachment to the past. No, don't have a strange fear of the future. And you don't sit there and give up. And like these the people who are like the end timers, they say, well, everything's so bad, I think Jesus is thrown in the towel. It's obvious from how bad things are. Jesus is coming back pretty soon, so you don't have to worry about it. That's also a form of giving up. Because you're looking at the right now is the time when he said never to do that. The truth is, Christ is with us. And that is, he's with us in the form of a cross. And that is not easy, my friends. That is difficult. And so we have to cling to Jesus. Whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is pure and right and good, cling to those things and let those things lead you to God. But as soon as anything pulls you away from God, ditch it. Be like the good scribe who knew to take things that old and new and find whatever brings you closer to Christ and let that be part of this beautiful experience of being a Catholic, being in the household of the living God. And do not be afraid of that, because that is the basis also of bringing other people newly into the fold of Jesus Christ. And that is what he calls you to do. If you are baptized, you are called to be an evangelizer. You are called to be a saint. When you die, you can be canonized with the capital S. That's what God is calling you to. That's what you can be absolutely sure of. So that at the end of time, there won't be weeping and wailing of teeth, because that is a possibility. But instead, God will say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your Father's kingdom. Let us bring our petitions to the Lord. We pray for the whole church that it may shine forth with the holiness of God, the holiness of Jesus Christ. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our Holy Father and all young people gathered with him at World Youth Day, that they may experience the gift of the Holy Spirit and gathering with the successor of Peter and the encouraging and the strengthening of their faith. Indeed, we pray for all the young people of the world that in their idealism, and in their hope, they may see Christ and become future arbiters of tomorrow, carrying the gospel into the future. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for our government leaders 
that they may not obstruct Christ. We pray for an end to abortion, same-sex unions, gender confusion, and human trafficking. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the sick, the suffering, the poor. We pray for the abandoned, the rejected, the forgotten, the lonely, that we respond to Jesus in all forms of human misery. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for the gift of discernment and wisdom and prudence, that we may know whatever is good and holy, and we reject whatever is evil. For this we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for all of our beloved dead, that they may enter the Father's eternal glory. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Eternal and blessed Father, we ask you to hear us. For make these and all our petitions in the holy name of Jesus Christ, your Son, and through the powerful intercession of our Mother Mary, as we pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, far good and good of all his holy church. Accept, O Lord, we pray, the offerings which we bring from the abundance of your gifts, and through the powerful working of your grace, these most sacred mysteries may sanctify our present way of life and lead us to eternal gladness through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Father most holy, through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, your word to whom you made all things, whom you sent as our Savior and Redeemer, incarnate by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin, fulfilling your will and gaining for you a holy people, he stretched out his hands as he endured his passion, so as to break the bonds of death and manifest the resurrection. And so with angels and all the saints, we declare your glory, as with one voice we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabao, Plenis Uncelia Terra, Gloria Tua, O Sanna in excelsis, 
Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, O sana in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. A mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope, Michael our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be coerced to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Roho him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours, for ever and ever. Amen. Proceptis salutaribus moniti, et divini institutioni formati, audehemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuhur nomen tuhum, Adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum quotidianum, dan hobis hodie, et emiten nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, Sed liberanos amahalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. 
graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant our peace and unity, in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those who are called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. Communion Antiphon. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and never forget all his benefits. Act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Excelling joy of heaven to earth come down, 
Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure unbounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. Come, Almighty, to deliver, let us all thy grace receive. Suddenly return, and never, never more thy temples leave. Be we would be always blessing, serve thee as thy host above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing, glory in thy perfect love. Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Let us pray. We have consumed, O Lord, this divine sacrament, the perpetual memorial of the passion of your Son. Grant, we pray, that this gift which he himself gave us with love beyond all telling may profit us for salvation through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mass is ended. Go in the peace of Christ. Thanks be to God. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Duce Do, Et Spes Nostra Salve. A Te clamamus, Exules Filii Efe, A Te Suspiramus, Gementes et flentes, in hac lacrimarum vale. Ea ergo, advocata nostra, in los tuos. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen.
prayer of deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, Saint Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Patrick from St. Vincent de Paul Catholic Church. 